please turn to Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8. As we continue our series in Luke's Gospel, we're going to consider the demon-possessed man. And we're going to consider verses 26 through to 40. I'll read those verses now. And they arrived at the country of the Gadarenes, which is over against Galilee. And when he went forth to land, there met him out of the city a certain man, which had devils long time, and wear no clothes, neither abode in any house, but in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out, and fell down before him, and with a loud voice said, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of God, most high? I beseech thee, torment me not. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For oftentimes it had caught him. And he was kept bound with chains and in fetters. And he broke the bands and was driven of the devil into the wilderness. And Jesus asked him, saying, What is thy name? And he said, Legion, because many devils were entered into him. And they besought him that he would not command them to go out into the deep. And there was there an herd of many swine, or pigs, feeding on the mountain. And they besought him that he would suffer them to enter into them. And he suffered them. Then went the devils out of the man and entered into the swine, And the herd ran violently down a steep place into the lake and were choked. When they that fed them saw what was done, they fled and went and told it in the city and in the country. Then they went out to see what was done and came to Jesus and found the man out of whom the devils were departed, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. They also which saw it told them by what means he he that was possessed of the devils was healed. Then the whole multitude of the country of the Gadarenes round about besought him to depart from them. For they were taken with great fear. And he went up into the ship and returned back again. Now the man out of whom the devils were departed besought him that he might be with him. But Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to thine own house, and show how great things God have done unto thee. And he went his way, and published throughout the whole city how great things Jesus had done unto him. And it came to pass that when Jesus was returned, the people gladly received him, for they were all waiting for him. Amen. In Luke chapter 8 and verse 22, we're told that the Lord Jesus Christ went into a ship and that he travelled across the Sea of Galilee. Last week, we saw how he took his disciples into what would become a storm. So much so that the disciples 
were fearful. Even though most of them were fishermen, they feared that they might drown. We saw that last week. As for Jesus, he reproved their lack of faith and he stilled the storm. Do you remember that? He just said to the storm, peace, be still. And that was it. The wind and the sea obeyed his command. In so doing, Jesus demonstrated that he has authority even over nature. In today's passage, the ship has arrived in the country of the Gadarenes on the east coast of the Sea of Galilee. With Jesus on a mission to minister to a demon-possessed man or two men, if you read the parallel account in Matthew's Gospel. Our passage ends with Jesus returning to the other side of the sea after ministering to the demon-possessed man in our passage. As such, we can see something of just how far the love and the compassion of God, the Son of God, extended for just one or two miserable wretches who were unlovely, they were unlovable in this world, yet they were greatly loved by Almighty God. Also, having already uh, demonstrated his power over nature when he was at sea in the ship, when he told the wind and the seas to, to be still, Jesus now demonstrates his authority over demons. And when I say demons, that of course includes the prince of demons, the devil. First of all, we can consider the reality of demons. Jesus met a man whose body and soul were the dwelling place of demons or evil spirits. So much so that according to verse 30, the man went by the name of Legion. Let's have a look at that again. In verse eight, verse th- chapter 8, verse 30. And Jesus asked him, saying, What is thy name? And he said, Legion, because many devils, many demons were entered into him. In the days of the Roman Empire, a legion represented about 6,000 soldiers. Also, according to Mark chapter 5 and verse 13, the demons entered into about 2,000 pigs. Now, if we assume that more than one demon entered into each of those pigs, that tells us, that gives us some idea rather, just how many demons there were. 2,000 pigs and uh, certainly a lot more demons than that. Suffice to say that that pitiful man hosted a vast number of demons in his tormented body and soul. I'm certainly not going to separate body from soul here and say that the demons entered his soul but not his body or they entered his body but not his soul. That's beyond what I can work out. All I know is that a lot of demons entered that man. Demon possession is not something that we in the West are particularly aware of these days, except for the horror movies. We see them in horror movies. 
However, on the strength of this passage and many other passages in the Word of God, you can be absolutely certain that demon possession was and still is a reality. You read about it in the Bible, maybe you need to pinch yourself at times and and say, this is reality. This isn't a fiction that I'm reading here. This really did happen when Jesus was in the world. And there's no reason to assume that it doesn't still happen. Perhaps, I don't know this to be the case, perhaps demon possession was more prevalent when the Son of God was in the world. You can imagine that the, the, the powers of darkness were probably very, very busy when the Son of God was in the world. Busy opposing him. And being busy trying to destroy the church. Again, I don't know, but I should imagine there was a, a, a presence, quite, a, quite a, a, a big presence of angels when Jesus hung upon that cross, laying down his life for sinners. But anyway, there were demons when Jesus was in the world and we have no reason to imagine that there are not demons in the world now. What is it that we wrestle against? Not flesh and blood, but principalities and powers, demonic forces. More than anything, our battle, if we are Christians, is are against the powers of darkness. There are most certainly demonic forces in this world. You just have to look at the news or listen to the news. The only way I can make sense of it, because I I hear a lot of nonsensical explanations for what is going on in the world, coming from people who have no spiritual discernment. But I know the answer, because I read the Bible. And the answer to all the problems, terrible problems we have in the world, There's no peace in this world. Nation against nation, kingdom against kingdom. The corruption at the highest level in in our land and the most powerful people in the world, utterly corrupt to the core. Just like the rest of us. The only way I can explain that is because of the presence of evil in this world. The prince of darkness, the devil himself, being the god of this world. The devil, he would love you to think that there are no demons in this world. And and I'm sure there are Christians who are naive enough to think that demons was a thing is a thing of the past. Yep. They'll admit, certainly in Jesus' time, when he was in the world, there were demons, but that was then. It's not now. If that is your the, the way you think, you've fallen into one of the traps of the devil. He would love you to think that there, there are no demons in the world. Furthermore, he'd love you to think that he doesn't exist. Just like I've told you several times in the past, the, the lay Baptist preacher, when I became a Christian, 
and I latched onto a an elderly Baptist preacher who lived a few doors away from me. I was so hungry for Christian company, uh, companionship, and I wanted to talk to him about Christ all the time, and, and talk to him about things I was reading in the Bible. But then one day, after one day in conversation, it became very apparent that he didn't believe that the devil is a real person. By person, I mean a, a, a real spirit. Just a concept, just a representation of evil, but nothing more than that. And I never spoke to him again after that. I had no desire to speak to him anymore. I just thought, here's a man who denies the reality of the devil stepping into pulpits and preaching in churches. Gives you some idea, though, of what a mess the church is in. The visible church, that is. Church fellowships all over the place. They don't even believe the most fundamental truths that are, are, are revealed to us in the Bible. During my five years of living in India, I heard about various cases of demon possession. I've got no reason to, to dismiss those accounts either. The presence of demons was clearly evident, with idols, big idols, being paraded through the streets and worshipped. And you can be sure that behind all of those idols, there were demons receiving the worship of people. Receiving adoration from those idol worshippers. Here on our island, the idolatry is not so obvious. People don't go around parading um, idols um, as they do in India, shall we say. But they do nevertheless parade their idols, perhaps on their driveways in the form of a car. We've got a lot of idols in this land. An idol is anything that takes, that is, that you have more love for and affection for than God. And when you look at it like that, there's a lot of idolatry in this land. People worship a lot of things other than God. And further afield in the United Kingdom, about 200,000 babies are offered as sacrifices to the devil every year in abortion clinics. So we do worship the devil and his demons. Therefore, we need to be on our guard, as it is written in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. The way to be on your guard is to be clothed in the full armour of God as people who belong to the Prince of Peace, the Lord Jesus Christ. Secondly, we'll consider a description of Legion, the man who was possessed by demons. Look at verse 29. In Luke chapter 8. 
for he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man, for oftentimes it had caught him, and he was kept bound with chains and in fetters, and he broke the bands and was driven of the devils into the wilderness. Verse 29 describes someone who, as a consequence of being demon-possessed and driven by the devil, was a wild man who had broken all his restraints, broken out of his chains. Apart from anything else, that's a picture of you if you're not trusting in Jesus. Inasmuch you make it your business to break free from what you see as God's restraints. In other words, God's laws. Rather like the people in Psalm 2 who say of God and his Christ, let us break their bands asunder. Their bands as their laws. Let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. And this is what we do in this. We're seeing this. This is so prevalent in the society that we live in. Let us break their bands asunder. Speaking of God and his Christ. How do we do that? How do we break those chains from us? A very, very controversial subject. But I think it's one that we need to face the reality of. The biggest one that is destroying the, the, the certainly our society is the LBGTQ+. It is so anti-God, everything about it. And yet we are being, there's so much pressure on, on people to conform to it. And, and, to, and to not oppose it. To be accepting of it. Although it is an abomination to God. It really is. It's detestable to God. And so what we're doing there by embracing the LBGTQT plus whatever in a way that has never been seen before in, in this land. We are really casting away God's restraints. We're waving our fists towards heaven. And we're suffering the consequences of it. Righteousness exalts a nation. But the things that we're doing do not exalt a nation. They just bring judgment upon us if you reject God don't imagine that you are free if you are casting off God's restraints his holy laws if you're breaking free from those chains as you see it don't imagine you are free you're not free far from it you're in bondage to sin to Satan to be truly free, this sounds, this, now listen to this, to be truly free, you need to be bound to Jesus. You need to be yoked to him. That is the definition of true freedom, being bound to Jesus. Following him and seeking God's enabling grace to do that which is pleasing, not to this world, 
not to men, not to our leaders who enact evil laws, but doing that which is pleasing to God. If that is not a description of you, then you're under the dominion or the authority of your father, the devil, whom the Bible describes as the God of this world, and the lusts of your father, the devil, you do. Also, according to verse 27, Legion was naked and lived in tombs. So he broke free from his chains, his restraints. He was naked and lived in tombs. Tombs are where dead people live. And if you're not trusting in Jesus as your saviour from sin, you may as well live in a tomb because you're as good as dead anyway. Spiritually dead. Dead in trespasses and sins. You exist from day to day as you go about your work, you go about your studies or whatever it is you do during the week, but you're dead in trespasses and sins. And you may as well live in a tomb. I know that to be the case from my own experience. I spent far too many years existing, but not really living. Existing from day to day. Dead in trespasses and sins. No good to man nor beast. May just as well have lived in a tomb. And that is you, if you are not following Jesus, if you are not one of his sheep. You're someone who has, if you are not someone who's been given everlasting life. Dead in sins. As for being naked, if you've not trusted in Jesus as your saviour, you're naked in the sense that you're, what you're wearing is nothing more than the filthy rags of your own self-righteousness. You might have a few layers of that stuff on, come to think about it. You, you could probably count on, 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 on both hands all the wonderful things that you, you do. Or, and, and the terrible things that you don't do. But if you're not trusting in Jesus as your saviour from sin, you just, you may just as well be naked because what you're wearing are filthy rags of self-righteousness. They're worth nothing. And God sees through all of those filthy rags that you're wearing, all the wonderful things that you've done, all the terrible things that you haven't done. He sees through the whole thing, all of it. And you know what he sees in your heart? He sees your uh, the evil thoughts, the murders, the idolatries, the adulteries, the fornications. He sees all the sin hidden away in your heart. Everything is laid bare before him. You can't hide anything from God. Again, you may just as well be naked. The good news is that God provides a change of clothing for his people for those who belong to Jesus. He removes their filthy rags and he clothes them with garments of salvation. He adorns them with a robe of righteousness, the righteousness of his dear son, 
the Lord Jesus Christ. So much so that if you're a Christian, you're not interested in the... the you, you, your plea before God isn't that the wonderful things that you've done, the terrible things that you haven't done. You stand before God, accepted in his beloved Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who loved you and who gave himself for you. And you stand before God, clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. That's far better, isn't it? Don't you, you could, this is something you can picture, really. You can picture standing before God. You, you're either standing before God, telling him about, um, well, I didn't really swear a lot. And um, I tried to behave myself. It didn't always work out that way. I, okay, I stole a few things. And uh, I got really angry at times. And, um, well, in fact, I could have killed that person. Um, yeah, but generally I was pretty good. God. Or you stand before your heavenly Father. That's the big difference, eh? And you stand there accepted in his beloved Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. There's the contrast. Clothed in the righteousness of Christ or basically naked. I like what Augustus Top Lady wrote in his hymn. We sung it before uh, this sermon. Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress, helpless look to thee for grace. Foul I to the fountain fly, wash me saviour or I die. Thirdly, Jesus commanded the unclean spirit to come out. Verse 29 there. Again, for he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. That's a clear reminder and also a tremendous comfort to the Lord's people that Jesus is stronger than the devil, stronger than the devil and all his demons. Jesus commanded the the demons to come out and they did just that. We see that Jesus is stronger than the devil in Mark chapter 3 verse 27 where Jesus said, No man can enter into a strong man's house and spoil his goods except he will will bind the strong man and then he will spoil his house. I'll say that again. No man can enter into a strong man's house and spoil his goods except he will first bind the strong man and then he will spoil his house. The devil is the strong man. The strong man's house is the devil's dark domain. That includes this world of sin of which the devil is prince. His goods are his people. In fact, his goods are everyone who is not trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. The devil's the strong man His house is this world. His goods are maybe you if you don't belong to Jesus. However, there's a man who is stronger than the strong man and he comes into his house and he binds the strong man. 
That man is the man Christ Jesus, who is the mighty God. He has bound the devil. He's come into the devil's house, the world. He has bound the devil. You can think of the devil as being on a chain ever since the cross work of Jesus and his triumphal resurrection from the dead. You can think, well, I, I see this as a dog owner. You can think of a dog, on, a, a, a vicious dog, a ferocious dog on a chain. Keeps trying to lunge forward, but if the owner's got a good grip on that chain, it can't do anything. It just keeps lunging forward. It wants to get at whatever, whoever, but it can't because it's on a chain. And the owner is hanging on to that chain. That's the devil now. He walks around this world seeking whom he may devour, but he is on a chain. Not literally. We don't have to think of him going around with a chain round his neck. But he is on a chain in as much as he can do so much but no more. The Lord Jesus Christ has entered his house and bound him. The devil will never be able to frustrate God's plan of redemption as much as he would love to. Jesus said, upon this rock, speaking of himself, upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. How is that so? Because Jesus works all things out for the good of his church and he's got the devil on a, on a chain. He's bound him. He can only do so. He's doing a lot. I mean, this world is a, in a terrible mess, awful mess. But he could do a whole lot more. But he's on that chain, being bound by Jesus. And you can be sure that when Jesus comes again in judgment and when he comes to gather up his elect, those who were chosen for salvation before the foundation of the world, not one of them will be missing. Not one of his elect will be missing despite all that's going on in this this world, all the demonic activity, not one of his elect will be missing. Certainly Christians do get attacked. They get persecuted. Christians get martyred. Okay, I'll grant you that. But not one of them will be missing when Jesus returns. He will take them all to be with him in the new heavens and the new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. In the meantime, against the devil's wishes, all that have been given to Jesus by his Father will will continue to come to Jesus. This world's in a mess, but day by day, people are being saved from their sins. By the grace of God, they're repenting, they're having a change of mind, they're coming to their senses, they're, they're, they're forsaking sin. They're hating sin. They're hating the sin, their own sin. And they're turning to Jesus and trusting in him as their saviour. This is happening day by day in this world of sin, Satan, misery. All who receive Jesus as their saviour from sin, their Lord, their God, their refuge 
under whose wings they take their refuge, are safe and secure, now and forevermore, in Jesus Christ their Lord, even if they are persecuted, even if they are martyred, put to death, for the name of Jesus. What happens to them? They just get an abundant welcome into heaven. The moment that they're put to death, they enter into the presence of their great God and Saviour, which is far better. Dear Christian, the devil will no doubt continue to accuse you before God. What a wretch you are, it's, it's, or, or accuse you. You'd perch on your shoulder, whispering in your ear, you're useless. Don't imagine for one moment you're a Christian. Look, and just remind you of the sins you committed. Never mind last week, but today. Remind you of all those thoughts you had, the words that you said, inappropriate words, whatever it is. That doesn't excuse those things, by the way. You know, if you are a Christian, um, I trust your conduct and your conversation isn't what it used to be. It's not what it should be, but it's not what it used to be. And you are what you are by the grace of God. But the devil will nevertheless accuse you. Before God, what a wretch you are. But who is it who has justified you in the first place? The devil's accusing you before God. Look at that useless wretch, Glenn. Um, And God is the one who justified Glenn. And you, dear Christian, it's God who has justified you. Who is the devil to accuse you before God when it is God who has justified you? When it is God who has sent his son into the world to lay down his life, bearing away your sins? As for those who are not trusting in Jesus, the Bible shows just how sinfully twisted and sinfully foolish they really are. There are those, including the Jewish leaders in our passage, who actually accuse Jesus, the Son of God. We see it, sorry, we see it in various places in the Bible. The Jewish leaders who accuse Jesus, the Son of God, of being demon-possessed. This is the one who we read about in our passage, casting out a a legion of demons. But they accused him, this is how twisted they were, they accused him of being demon-possessed and casting out demons by the power of the devil. Now that's really stupid, if nothing else. That the devil would use Jesus, or anyone for that matter, to cast out demons. But that's what they were accusing Jesus of. How wicked to do that. Even the demons themselves who have a place reserved for them in hellfire, they know better. They know that Jesus is the all-powerful Son of God and they acknowledge him to be the Son of God. We can see that to be the case in verse 28 where the demons called him Son of God Most High. Also when Jesus asked his disciples whom they believed him to be, Peter, what is it that Peter said? Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. What about you? Who do you say that Jesus is? Even the demons 
say that Jesus is the Son of the Most High, but what about you? Those demons have a place for them reserved in hellfire, but what about you? Who do you say Jesus is? Do you believe that the one who cast out a vast number of evil spirits from that demoniac in the country of the Gadarenes is the Son of God? A very simple question for you. But it's a very important question. And I'll happily look you in the eye as I ask you that question. Who do you say Jesus is? Do you believe he is the Son of God? If you do, then with a broken and contrite heart, you simply must receive him as your Saviour from sin. For there is no other name under heaven given unto men whereby we must be saved. The name of Jesus. Let's have a look fourthly at the response of the Gadarenes. In verse 32. There was there a herd of many swine feeding on the mountain and they besought him that he would suffer them to enter into him and they suffered them. So we're told that the demons sought permission from Jesus to enter into a herd of pigs and he permitted them to do so. When the demons had entered into those pigs, the pigs ran into the sea and they drowned. Then the herdsmen fled in order to report what had happened. Consequently, a multitude of people came out to see for themselves what they'd heard. We'll finish by considering the response of that multitude of people that came to see for themselves what had happened. When We'll consider their, their, their response when they found the man out of whom the devils were departed sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. According to verse 35, they were afraid. Going back to when Jesus was on the ship with his disciples and he rebuked the wind and the the sea, his disciples, they were afraid as well. Do you remember that? Again, they were afraid. They thought that they were going to perish. And they said, what manner of man is this? That even the wind and the seas obey him. Those disciples, even though they were afraid, they nevertheless stayed with Jesus. Obviously, they stayed with Jesus on the boat, but they continued to stay with Jesus. But the Gadarenes besought him to depart from them. Although they did not necessarily display any obvious signs of being subject to demons, that multitude nevertheless showed themselves to be children of the devil. The only difference with them was that they had perhaps an outward appearance of being respectable. They didn't have chains on, they they had clothes on, they looked respectable, They looked like people in here. But they sought Jesus to depart from them, even though they looked no different to us in here. Perhaps different clothing style, but that's it. 
having seen the radical transformation in that man who had previously been like a wild animal, the multitude must have been having thoughts about Jesus along the lines of, what manner of man is this, that even evil spirits obey him? They should have been thinking along those lines, that multitude that said, that that wanted Jesus gone from them. They must have thought, who is this? He can cast out a legion of demons. Even so, instead of falling prostrate before Jesus and worshipping him, they wanted nothing to do with him. That was the wrong response. That reaction shows the attitude of the majority of people that make up this world's population. They want nothing to do with Jesus. He came unto his own, the Jews. They knew him not. Although he came into the world of the house of David, the tribe of Judah, he came into the world according to his humanity as a Jew. The Jews did not want to know him. So much so that they crucified him. Jesus is light. However, this is the condemnation that light is coming to the world and that men love darkness rather than the light because their deeds are evil. That's why people don't want to know Jesus because they're in love with their sin. And Jesus, he shines his light upon the holiness of God and he shines his light upon their sins. And that makes people very uncomfortable and they hate Jesus for it. If you're not convinced, next time you're with a crowd of unbelieving people, how about you try to strike up a conversation about Jesus coming into the world to save sinners? (laughs) They say never talk about politics and religion. I can see why they say don't talk about religion. What they really mean is don't talk about Jesus. People don't want to hear about Jesus. That's what it's about. Don't talk about my sins. Thank you very much. And don't talk about the Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, they won't call him the Saviour. They won't call him the Lord Jesus Christ. They don't want to hear about Jesus. That is the world that we live in. You'll see the hostility towards God and towards Christ if you talk to unbelievers about the about Jesus. Last of all, look at verses 38 and 39. Now the man out of whom the devils were departed besought him that they might that he might be with him. But Jesus sent him away saying, return to thine own house and show how great things God have done unto thee. And he went his way and published throughout the whole city how great things Jesus had done unto him. In contrast to the multitude that wanted Jesus to depart from them, the once demon-possessed man wanted to be with Jesus. That's, That's much better to want to be with Jesus. His desires and faculties had changed. And according to verse 35, he was sitting at the feet of Jesus. 
Surely that's how it is, or at least how it ought to be with all of you born-again Christians. Being with Jesus, sitting at his his feet, listening to him. Jesus instructed the man to go back to his home and testify of the great things that God had done for him. Whereupon, what did he do? Let's have a look at it again now. Look at verse 39. Return to thine own house and show how great things God have done unto thee. And he went his way and published throughout the whole city how great things Jesus had done unto him. I like that verse. I I don't think I'm reading too much into it. Jesus said, go and tell people what God has done for you. And he did precisely that. He Not just to his household either, but everywhere, the whole city. He told everyone the great things that Jesus had done unto him. Jesus, the Son of God. Every one of you fits into one or two camps. As we're coming to a close, I'd like you to consider this. Maybe you're like the multitude in our passage, and like the people in the prophet Isaiah's time. It wasn't just happening here in our text, not just happening now, but 800 years earlier in uh, the Old Testament times, as I say, in the prophet Isaiah's time, it's written, which say to the seers, that the people say to the seers, see not, and to the prophets, prophesy not unto us right things, speak unto us smooth things, prophesy deceits, get you out the way, turn aside out of the path, cause the Holy One of Israel to cease from before us. I'll read that last bit again. Cause the Holy One of Israel to cease from before us. Who's the Holy One of Israel? It's the Lord Jesus Christ. Even back in Isaiah's time, people did not want to hear about Jesus, the Saviour who was to come into the world, the promised Messiah. They didn't want to hear about him. If by the grace of God you're not in that camp but you're in the other camp, that means you've been found by Jesus, he's graciously saved you from your sins and you now sit at his feet listening to him and you're clothed in his righteousness and your mind is fixed upon him. You now have a testimony of what your great God and Saviour has done for you in that he has lived a sinless life for your behalf He has laid down his life as a sacrifice for your sins and now he is in heaven above as your great heavenly high priest and that you will go to be with him one day and behold his glory. Don't know what camp you'd rather be in. Depart from us, Jesus, or rejoicing in Jesus, the God of your salvation. Amen.